Well, all right, we got it here. This is the fun time. Do I sound like I'm from New Jersey or Virginia? Jersey. All right. I actually feel good about that because I did grow up in the state of Virginia, uh, in Tidewater. Any Virginia Beach people here? Give, give me your high school. What high school did you go to? I went to Princeton Junior High School. Callum High School. That's where I went. I was a knight. Well, I've been living in New Jersey and just recently relocated back to the Commonwealth. We're uh, glad to be home. My wife grew up on a farm in North Carolina, so living 45 minutes from New York City in one of the most densely populated places on uh, the planet was a little stressful for her. Uh, but as I told Justin earlier, my wife is so faithful to love some New Jersey people because they're different, right? A little different. Uh, not exactly like Jersey Shore. We get misrepresented there, but certainly uh, a crusty people uh, that's a challenge uh, for the gospel. But we uh, are thankful. We saw much fruit there. We planted a, a church out of our house. Then we moved to a hotel. So this is kind of a fun field, setting up chairs, telling Justin the field feels great for me. Um, the hotel we were in, uh, a restaurant moved up uh, above us about six months in, a restaurant called Hooters. You ever heard of Hooters? We were, we were the church that was under Hooters, and a lot of times people were like, well, are you guys trying to be the cool church? Me, I was like, no, they moved in, and we had no place to go. You know what rent is around here in New York City Metro? Uh, so uh, this setting is very familiar to me. I'm very grateful uh, to be here. Thanks, Justin, for the invitation. I am now starting a ministry called Power of Change, which exists to impact and influence the coming generation in the post-Christian West with the gospel. I love lost people. I love skeptical people. That's why New Jersey was a great fit for me. And I want to continue to invest my life in evangelism, apologetics, and then helping influence those who work with the next generation, pastors, parents, and church planters. I still work for the Acts 29 Network, of which uh, this church is a member, so I'm very grateful to be here. Now, the, the sermon series you guys are in, is re- really, I'm really thankful for the title, Inverted Kingdom. In fact, Years ago, I led a ministry in Nashville, very different than New Jersey, uh, called Inversion. Uh, because Jesus, right, is a radical revolutionary who turns our worlds upside down. But by doing so, right, he makes us right side up. He gives us grace and freedom and blessing. We see that in the Beatitudes, right, in the Sermon on the Mount. Who is it that is blessed? It's not the pretty, the powerful, uh, that, and the popular that everyone clamors about. But it's the meek and the humble and those who know their need for God. And that's the kind of people who want to be a kingdom people, right, that are salt and light on the earth so that we might declare his fame and glory throughout the world amongst the nation for our own joy and blessing to God. The Sermon on the Mount is the most famous speech probably of Jesus. Uh, Many people even outside the faith would be familiar with some of the lingo from it even if they do not know its source. And today I jump in with you in Matthew chapter 6 in the midst of a section on piety or religiosity. How do we go about certain activities or actions, uh, namely giving to the poor, helping others with our resources, uh, prayer, and today fasting? Because in your series up to this point, you've seen Jesus teach that there's more than one way to go about these things. There's the act themselves, and then there's the deep heart reality of our relationship with God as we go about things that are ultimately good. I've got kind of the the third sibling of this uh, troika here. Uh, Most people understand giving, right? Give to somebody else. Hey, they need a sandwich. I'll give them a sandwich, right? Uh, Most people even understand prayer. What is that? It's kind of different, mystical. Man, Paul's talking to God. Uh, Fasting is not as popular, right? Uh, in the world, although it does uh, traverse many religious traditions. I grew up a wrestler. I don't know if you can tell. Um, usually I get confused with basketball players because of my stature. Uh, but, 
But I was a wrestler, and I went to the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, where they love basketball. I actually converted to be a basketball fan at that time. But I was a wrestler. I still was. I was peeping the Olympics, because this is like the, the Shekinah glory moment of wrestling, right, is the Olympics. We got Kyle Snyder in the finals this, this afternoon. I will be watching on my phone, hopefully, while not driving. Um, but I was a wrestler, and so not eating, right, was a part of my life forever. In fact, I just learned in the last several years not to get on a scale multiple times every day. And I'm serious, in wrestling reunions, you get together with your buddies, uh, guys all start pinching your love handles, as feeling if you still got abs. I still got abs, they're just a little hidden, right? A six pack becomes like a one pack or a little pony cake sometimes. But uh, we, we care about weight management. So not eating was a thing in my life. In fact, my own uh, relationship to fasting has been interesting historically. Uh, I became a Christian at, at, as, as a college student, wrestling and studying physics at UNC Chapel Hill. And then I went on staff with a ministry called Athletes in Action. Uh, it's a group. You have some representation here. All right, I'm feeling, feeling love, right? AIA was my spiritual home, my first spiritual family. Uh, and in that ministry, I kind of grew up in my faith. When my wife and I uh, came on staff with AIA, it was in the mid-90s. And at the time, the founder of a ministry called Campus Crusade for Christ, of which AIA is the sports ministry, was writing books and holding conferences on fasting and prayer. And I remember everyone was like, whoa, this is a big deal. And I was like, what's the big deal? And, and a lot of the staff that I were with were like, oh, it's so hard to fast. I'm like, it's discipline, right? Just discipline, don't eat, keep your mind strong, get through it. But I was missing something. I was missing that fasting was not about the absence of something, but rather it was about the seeking of something even more importantly, the seeking of someone. Now, this morning, as we come into, ter- into this terminology, fasting, I wanted to give uh, a fast introduction uh, to fasting topically. I'm going to throw up a definition here for you uh, as we begin today, because I think it's important for us to, to get what we're talking about. Okay? This is uh, a definition uh, of fasting. Fasting is a denial of oneself certain necessary things. Biblically, usually food, that you would partake of in the course of everyday life. We fast in order to use that time to focus, to humble ourselves, and declare our dependence upon God. We use it to repent of sin and ask God to move as He wills, right, Lord's Prayer, when we pray to Him. Now, if you're a guest here today, right, um, or maybe you wandered in uh, to the middle school looking for something, they're like, hey, there's a church, I'll go roll in the back here, right? Um, if, you're, if you're a guest here today, let me just say this. I love food, right? Maybe you do as well. Whether you're a chicken wings or a kale chips or hummus and pita, or like me, I like both Ben and Jerry sometimes, right? They can be friends. Some of you might have an Instagram account dedicated to food, right, with perfect lighting and, and weird pictures. I was like, I have a friend in New Jersey. I don't even know what she eats. I was like, how do you survive on that? And I was like, oh, that's bacon. She goes, no, that's red dried pepper stuff. I'm like, I can't keep up. I like eating. I like feasting, which is a biblical thing as well. And I'm more naturally drawn to that than fasting. And so I don't want uh, today to be strange or weird but I do hopefully want to open up Jesus' teaching and some of the teaching in the whole Bible related to this spiritual discipline that has a very long history among the people of God. Let me pray, and we'll jump into the nature of fasting, and then we'll get to Jesus' teaching in these three verses. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray now that you would open it for our instruction, that you would uh, give light to our eyes, 
that we might see wonderful things uh, in the teaching of Jesus, who is uh, the great teacher, the one who leads uh, our lives. He's called Lord because he's the high king over all of space, time, and history. We want to honor you, Father. We want to receive from you, Lord. Uh, give us what we need today, no matter where we are spiritually, circumstantially. I pray, God, you would appoint a blessing for each of us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, think about it. The nature of fasting. It is by nature occasional in nature, right? It's an occasional thing to do. It's different in that manner from giving or prayer. Like, you can give every day. You can probably find a way to give something and give away something to someone who needs it every single day. You can pray every day. In fact, the scriptures encourage us to pray without ceasing, to live a life of prayer. You can't fast every day for the rest of your life. The big reason is that you'll be dead, right? Right? The body kind of starts eating itself, muscles atrophy, all your fat goes away. You know, you see that movie by Angelina Jolie, uh, Unbroken, right? You lay in a raft in the middle of the Pacific Ocean for 40-something days, your body will go away. So fast, you cannot abstain from food forever. It's occasional in nature. Now, there's many reasons in the Bible as to why people would fast. I will share with you just a few this morning. The first is for repentance and confession of sin. If you look in the Old Testament, uh, repentance or a turning back to God was expressed many times in fasting. In fact, there's a small book in the Old Testament called the book of Jonah. And Jonah was a prophet that was called to preach to a place called Nineveh, right? You guys ever, if you went to Sunday school at all, you heard about Jonah, right? Uh, Jonah was called to preach to Nineveh, a people and a place he did not like. He was reluctant, so God had to get him in a shipwreck, throw him in the, in the body of a large sea-dwelling animal, spit him out, send him on his knees to preach repentance to the people that he didn't like. And what happened in Nineveh, he didn't like either. They actually turned to God. What a great preacher. People turned to God. He's like, I still hate them, man, them people. But what happened to the people in Nineveh? They turned to God in repentance through fasting. They denied themselves uh, the joy of feasting and food in order to turn back to God because they were sorry for their sins. There were corporate declarations of repentance, say like in the book of Nehemiah. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 1. Now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. Now, they didn't have like a fancy uh, you know, earth roof house or anything like that. They were like covered in dirt, many times ashes, to, as a sign of humbling themselves before God in repentance. The, in the Bible, this is a use of fasting. Fasting is also used to petition or ask of God. For instance, we see in the book of Esther. I lived on Esther Court in New Jersey. So this is like it became a dear book to me because every time I drove to my house, right, I would pass my street sign and I would think of this wonderful woman in the history of God's people. Her story is that she was involved in the court of the Persian Empire. She had favor with the king and there was a person in the government that wanted to basically commit genocide against the Jewish people. And her uncle Mordecai was going to challenge her to use her position right, for the purposes of God. So we read this in Esther chapter 4. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than the other Jews. 
For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. And do not eat or drink for three days, a night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. In other words, this was a very serious time. She was to go before the king to ask of him something. And this was something that would have put her very head on a chopping block. She had to put her life at risk to ask of the king to do something like this for her. So before doing that, she just didn't run in willy-nilly. They stopped to seek God in earnest, diligent fasting with prayer. We see also in the Old Testament that people fasted to beg of God in desperation, in times of desperation. King David, uh, one of the prominent figures in the Old Testament, right? He's hooking up with another man's wife, gets her pregnant, basically sends the brother to the front lines of war because he's the king and he can do that. He gets killed. So effectively, David murders this man. He gets called out for it. And the child, right, of this relationship that he had with this woman, uh, God says, consequence, the child's going to die. Now, before you think God is doing a bad thing, God gave the child, can take the God back forever into his heavenly care. This was no damage to the child. This was judgment upon David. Now, David does something very interesting now. He begins to pray and fast before God. Now, what happens in the Bible is that God takes the child, and then David goes out and cooks, cooks some, you know, some omelets and stuff and starts eating. And his friends are like, well, the, the kid's dead now. Why are you eating now? And he said, who knows? Maybe perhaps God would have been merciful to me. So I sought him, and he did so through fasting and prayer. One other thing that we see in the Bible in relation to fasting is that many times in history, God's people have sought God in fasting for clarity, for clarity on decisions uh, and, and appointments that were very important to the church. This is in the book of Acts where we read in Acts 13 that there were a group of uh, people worshiping and fasting. And the Lord says, and the Holy Spirit says, set aside Paul and Barnabas for the work that I've called them to. They identified this through seeking God together in fasting and prayer. Similar thing happens in Acts 14, where the appointing of pastors or elders for the church, they were committed to God with fasting. So let me restate that definition that I put up here for you early. If you guys could throw that up for me one time. Fasting, this is in light of the teaching of the Bible, is a denial of oneself certain necessary things, biblically food, that we would partake of in the course of everyday life in order to use that time. It's not just not doing something, to use that time to focus and to humble ourselves and declare our dependence upon God, to repent of sin and ask God to move as he wills when we pray. Now that we have a little background, I want us to look at the words of Jesus in the inverted kingdom speech, the Sermon on the Mount. It can be broken down into two parts. When you fast, do not, right? The prohibition comes first. And then when you fast, do. So if you want to structure your notes, do not and do. The dangers of religious piety and devotion 
have been the focus, right, in the first part of chapter 6. Giving to the poor, prayer. They can be done in a way that actually dishonors God. Right? You, you show up with the big check and say, look at me. I'm giving to all the people that need it. Look at, it's all about you, right? Or prayer, when you come out in ostentatious fashion, when you want everyone to say, hey, look, I'm the best greeter, prayer, confession guy at Sojourn, so I'm going to blah, 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 that kind of thing. If you're doing it just for that, right? Jesus says we're missing it. The same can be said of this discipline, fasting. He repeatedly has said that what's done in secret before God is what matters, not simply making a religious show before people for the praise of ourselves. Now, think about it for a second. When you come into the realm of fasting, right? Um, it's kind of hard to know if someone's eating or not, right? If you look, look at your neighbor next to you, look at him, look at him, unless you're married to him or roommates or room dogs or whatever. If you look at them, can you tell if they have breakfast or not? Like, he, let me take an informal poll. Who thinks I've eaten this morning? Can you tell? Right? Come on. You can't tell. But there is a way that Jesus will address to make fasting visible. Right? There are ways to make that visible. In your Bibles, if you'd like to turn with me to Matthew 6, look at verse 16. Jesus begins this way. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigured their faces with that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. So the beginning of this sentence is that Jesus tells us when you fast. So it is an assumption that this would be a part of the lives of his disciples. Now, let me make this clear. We don't see a direct command that we have to fast. Okay? You're not sinning if you don't fast. It's not like if you eat and give thanks for it, you're disobeying God. But he assumed that his people, his disciples, would partake in this spiritual discipline. It was very part of the religious life of his day. The Pharisees, the leaders of the religious community uh, at Jesus' time were very much fasters. They fasted. In fact, we read this in Luke 18. Jesus told a parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and then treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. That's the bad guy, right? Still probably the bad guy. Uh, the Pharisee, the IRS man. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you. He probably prayed like that, right? God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, cro crooked referees in the Olympics, adulterers, and even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. Pharisees would fast on Mondays and Thursdays in that time. I give tithes. I give away tithes, 10% of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to the heavens, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, made right with God, rather than the other for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the context that Jesus is speaking into. When you fast, fasting was very part of the religious life of the community, but very much he cared why they did it. We see this in the ministry of a man named John the Baptizer. John was a preacher right, of the right before the time of Jesus, right, co-temporaneously co with Jesus. I don't know if that's a word. Um, 
And, and people came to Jesus and said, hey, look, uh, the disciples of John, they fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours, Jesus, eat and drink. Now, eat and drink language here is yours seem to be having a celebration. Yours seem to be about a, a party, the party. What, what's up with that, Jesus? And Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? Has anybody ever been to a wedding reception that was dedicated to fasting? I mean, it could happen. Could happen. Like, we almost did that to our guests. We did that little $6 joint at our reception because we just wanted to go in, high-five everybody, and go to the honeymoon. That's what we did. Um, but I'm telling you, I've been to some weddings in New Jersey with some big hair and some Italian money flying around. Well, there was some feasting there. Why? It's a party. It's a celebration. There's a reason to do so. Jesus is saying, my disciples aren't fasting now because I'm with them. It's a party. And then he goes on to say, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken from them, and they will fast in those days. So when Jesus says, when you fast, he's speaking to his disciples, the saying, hey, this should be a part of our lives. There are times for feasting, but there are times for fasting. The church has uh, uh, roughly an 1,800-year tradition of fasting and leading up to uh, Easter. If you grew up uh, Roman Catholic or in certain traditional kind of church settings, you probably celebrated the season of Lent, right? Anybody ever celebrate Lent? Do you guys celebrate Lent now maybe, right? We did as a church in New Jersey. What we didn't want to do is turn it into just, hey, what I'm not doing here, and I'm not, I'm not eating Ben and Jerry's for 40 days because, you know, because of Jesus, right? It's like, that's what I'm doing. Or I'm not having Hershey Kisses or coffee uh, because it's Lent. So the Lenten tradition wasn't designed for that. It was pre preparation and repentance to celebrate the glorious news of the resurrected Jesus in the gospel. But it's kind of turned into this thing where you get fish sandwiches at McDonald's instead of double cheeseburgers. But there is a time to fast. And Jesus says, when you do it, here's what not to do. Don't look gloomy, gloomy face, right? Uh, like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so that their fasting may be seen by others. So I guess there was a fasting face back in the day. Like, you're like, I don't know, it was like Blue Steel or something. Like, what's wrong with uh, you know, fasting for Jesus? Wow. Well, why, why, why would people want that to be seen? Well, in some religious circles, you might be seen as a super Christian. If you fast a lot, man, you're not JV, you're, you're a varsity Christian. That's a route to spiritual pride. Fasting should not be to, that we might be seen or that others might think certain things about us. This is the same thing about money. When you give money, uh, when you pray, right? When you fast, don't try to look miserable. Why? Well, fasting's not supposed to be fun. So if you look miserable, maybe people will think, wow, he's really dedicated. So practically speaking, when you fast, right? And I do encourage this in the life of Christians. You don't have to tell everyone at the office that you're fasting, right? You're like, I wouldn't do that anyway. They think I'm weird. You don't have to tell everyone. You don't need to brag, right? Uh, to your Christian friends that you've been fasting 37 days and you don't understand why other lame Christians don't do so. You don't need to do that. You don't have to look like a wrestler who's cutting weight. And, I, and it, personally, I think a wrestler cutting weight is worse than PMS, but that's just my opinion. So point one on fasting. When you fast, don't. Make it about God 
not about yourselves. And here's what he's going to teach us in the positive, verse 17. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father, right? The good Father. That your Father sees what is in secret. And your fathers who sees in secret will reward you. So this anointing your head, right, is, is, not, is not meant to be a, a religious signification here. It means, like, take a bath, right? Um, now, you may be someone, hey, I don't wash my jeans, and I use a rock as deodorant and everything. Um, I don't know what your hygiene practices are. But in the ancient world, they would anoint themselves with oil, and they would wash periodically. And so he said, continue that practice while fasting so you don't look terrible. So that there isn't an external expression of your fasting. Now, this would have been different, right? In the old school way, they would dirt, dirt themselves up and, you know, make it a big thing. He's saying, don't do that. Go about your normal hygienic practices so that your fasting might be in secret. Why? So that your reward for the fasting will be with God. Time with God in secret, right? Think about it for a second. Jesus is the one in his teaching who quotes the Old Testament law from the book of Deuteronomy when he said, Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So fasting is a beautiful thing because it's not about not eating. It's about a different kind of participation and consumption. We seek God in secret. Jesus was actually... Uh, looking hungry one day, and his disciples were like, well, he, he needs some food. And he said, I have food that you know nothing about. In other words, while we fast, there is a consumption of the Word of God, of time in God's presence, of the Scriptures, of prayer that makes us wise for salvation and builds our strength, even though internally we're not partaking of food. We fast to treasure Jesus above all things, including the enjoyable things in life like food, even the necessary things in life like food. In all of these passages, again, we see that God is not about withholding a reward. He's about giving a better reward. There is something better than the religious praise of your piety by your fellow human beings. It is to seek God and to know Him in intimate communion. And these are the gifts of piety. When we need a job, Seek God in fasting and prayer. Uh, when I need wisdom for a decision, seek God in fasting and prayer. And as Dr. Bill Bright, the late Dr. Bill Bright said, when we fast, we're not doing so merely to seek His hand, but ultimately to seek His face. Remember the Lord's Prayer that we want God's will to be done. We put ourselves before Him in fasting to call on Him, uh, but to ultimately submit ourselves to Him. Like Job in the Old Testament, who said, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I love the words of one of the early Christian leaders of the church, uh, a man named Saul of Tarsus, who was renamed the apostle or messenger, Paul. He said this, I pray that now and always I will have sufficient courage so that Christ may be exalted in my mortal flesh, my body, whether by life or death, because for me to live is Christ to die is gain. Did you realize that he is more pleasant than food? I don't always believe that. I'm going to probably eat lunch today and be happy about it. I get to, we get to pick out our food. We're, we're, kind of, uh, we're kind of really, really spoiled, right? 
we get much more than our daily bread. Like, I'm so excited because a new little Chinese joint's opening near my house. So, like, two minutes from my house, I could walk there and eat some Panda Express. Not even good food. Not even good Chinese food. <laughs> there are many pleasurable things that are wonderful gifts from God, but there is a greater gift, the gift of relationship with Jesus, who brings us into the presence of His Father. Fasting is a gift to God's people because there are many, many so-called gods or desirable things in this world that will vie for our attention and, yes, vie for our appetite. My son likes to eat these little um, tomatoes. I forget what they're called, grape tomatoes. What are they called, cherry tomatoes? He eats them like popcorn, pop, 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 pop. And they're kind of good for him, so we don't hold him back, right? You know, don't eat Reese cups like that. Reese cups. <laughs> Glory, Easter season, right? Glory, Jesus and Reese's peanut butter eggs. Hallelujah, right? My son eats these little grape tomatoes, right? He's developed an appetite for something that's good for him. And for us, we need to have our desires, yes, our appetites tuned to the things that feed our soul. There are many things that will clamor after our hearts and our appetites. Money is one of them. We're going to see that in the King's Speech here, the inverted kingdom on the Sermon on the Mount. That's coming up in chapter 6 as well. But here today, we close the section on piety because there's something much greater than the praise of people. In fact, if your religiosity or your giving is about the joy you get from other people saying yay, or if, you're, if you pray simply because you want people like, are they watching, are they watching? Right? You're going to get nothing from that. You're going to get no soul satisfaction, no strength for the journey, no, no strength in the face of temptation, no courage to be about the mission of God, no uh, long-suffering to really serve someone. No backbone to stand in the midst of injustice with the truth. You don't get that from that weak piety. You know where you get all that? You get it from God. And these things Jesus is teaching us, have a per- and they have a reward. Let me close with a quote from the late uh, preacher named John Stott. What a wonderful commentary, actually, on this Sermon on the Mount. He says this, and I'll, I believe I'll put it on the screen, step aside so you can see it, or way aside so you can see. He says, looking back over these verses, it is evident that throughout Jesus has been contrasting two alternative kinds of piety. Pharisaic piety is ostentatious, motivated by vanity and rewarded by men. Christian piety is secret, motivated by humility and rewarded by God. Friends, the beauty is the way of the inverted kingdom is a better way. A way of empty, self-serving religiosity is a vanity in the world, a puff of air bringing no joy to the human heart. But as the Bible says in the great book of Psalms, the songbook of the church and the people of God for all ages, in His presence, There is fullness of joy. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you that you call us to these things like generosity and prayer and fasting. 
not so we can check a box of religious to-do list that I've done my 50 religious push-ups today and I can feel good about that, but God, that you would draw us near. Lord, would you give us the appetites we need even now as we eat of the bread and partake of the cup. Jesus, you set this meal before your people so that our appetites would actually be tuned to something greater than even bread and wine. That we'd partake of you, Jesus, in your body and we'd receive of uh, your blood, the new covenant, the new promise, the new deal that you've made with people. That you would forgive us for sin and you would satisfy our desires with good things. And even today as we take this meal, we're reminded to remember the great truths of the gospel. Of a sacrificial servant king having his life and body broken for our sins that he received the judgment that we rightly deserve so that we would receive the grace, love, and mercy and fatherhood of a good father that we didn't earn. And Lord, we thank you that we take this and remember the promise that you will never leave us or forsake us, that you're better than food, you're better than money, uh, that you surpass uh, in your greatness than even our lives are itself. So Lord, today we come humbled. Uh, and grateful. Lord, let this meal be one of thanksgiving now uh, that we partake in. And Father, if anyone uh, be here today who needs to know who you are in a deep and refreshing way, I pray that they would know you, Jesus, that you died for them, gave your life for them, you're risen from the dead now uh, to draw them by your Holy Spirit into the family of faith. And Father, if anyone here is not ready today to take the communion table, I pray uh, God, that you would speak to their heart in a unique way through your word so that the appointed day of their own life coming to know you would be drawn near. Until that day, I pray they would abstain from this meal uh, until they're welcome as a daughter or son by faith, believing, trusting in Jesus fully for themselves. God, I thank you today for something simple like not eating uh, that can remind us of a great eating and a great participation with a God who loves us and gives everything for his church. Thank you for leading us now. In Jesus' name, amen.